More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Every year, up to 1.2 million children fall victim to trafficking, and many remain undetected, hidden from national authorities and anti-trafficking organizations. Of global trafficking victims, 66% are girls. Often, these victims are young migrants seeking refuge, only to become vulnerable to trafficking and its inherent exploitation. The horrifying business of human trafficking is thriving, generating billions in profit at the expense of the lives it destroys. Paul Hutchinson was managing the multi-billion dollar investment fund he co-founded, as well as working with several charitable organizations when he received a phone call that would alter the course of his life. He was told that rescuing 100 trafficked children in Colombia required more than just the usual philanthropic checks he had become accustomed to writing. He would have to become a part of an undercover operation at great personal risk. In this interview, Paul Hutchinson, entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist, and executive producer of the film Sound of Freedom, which is partially based on his experience in Colombia, shares his extraordinary journey one that saw him leave the investment fund he co-founded to spearhead a global movement to create a world in which every child can experience safety, freedom, and hope. Enjoy this episode with Paul. This episode is brought to you by Veritage, your family coaching and advisory firm, focused on building your family's capacity to thrive emotionally and financially. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Family Business Voice. It is my great honor to be joined today by my guest, Paul Hutchinson. Paul, I don't know how to introduce you, to be honest with you. Successful entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist, advocate, all of these names, and we're going to explore all of these things with you. But first of all, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Ramia. I appreciate your time and excited to share with your audience. We're going to dive right in. Anyone who will see you on the video is going to be like, how is he retired? He seems very, very young to be retired. But to be very exact, like you had an investment company and you had billions of assets under management and you decided to retire from that life, from that incredibly attractive life, I would say, with, which from the outside. And you decided to retire and to full-time pursue your philanthropic pursuits. And you did that in, I believe it was 2017. And so, like, you know, you give up this, this incredible sort of, like, life to devote yourself entirely to the cause. And that's when you, when you set up your foundation, which we're going to talk about, which is, uh, which is primarily focused on, on fighting child trafficking. But I think the, the obvious question is, like, you know, Why? Why at that moment in time did you feel like, you know what, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to pivot my life in such an extreme way, going from sort of like one end of the spectrum to the other? Well, Rami, I'm going to answer that question by actually backing up to the beginning of my career. I had a mentor. I'm a Gen 1. I didn't come from a, we didn't even have furniture in our living room when I got married type thing, right? But I had a mentor that told me this. He said, Paul, he said, 
if you do what I teach you to do, you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 30. You'll have the time to enjoy it. And, you know, I, we, we were going back and forth on some things. And so I decided to, to listen to some of the things he was teaching. And one of them was this. He said, Paul, if, if you make a decision today to give generously to charity, it's going to make a big difference in your, in your business. And I said, I don't understand how that works. He goes, well, the average person donates about 2%, less than 2%, or right around 2% of their, of their income to charity. He said, wealthy people donate statistically even a smaller percentage. And uh, he said, make a decision that it's not 2% for you. It's not even five, it's not even 10, it's upwards of 15 to 20% of your money and 20% of your time to making a significant impact in the lives of others, to, to charity work. He said, make that decision today. He said, you can call it karma. You can call it the universal law of exchange. You can call it blessings from God. Call it whatever you want to. He said, there's a, a power that's very interested in us doing good, and you'll see financial rewards. I thought that I, I wanted to be successful in business so that I could be charitable, not I'm going to be charitable so I can be successful in business. That, that seemed opposite of what I I felt, and he said, listen, he said, just test it. And I did. And, and I asked, I tell people this, I said, how, looking at my life today, how does somebody become a partner, let alone founder of what is now a $48 billion investment fund? Well, you're, you're not a University of Utah dropout, right? The statistical probability of me being where I am is zero. The only way that I can understand it is the fact that I made that decision in my early 20s, and I saw miracles happening throughout the entire growth of my business. So I tell people I'm not that charitable. I just need help rubbing on my company. And, you know, my creator does a better job than me type thing. So that that's where things started from a charitable standpoint. And so I had, I had been involved in a lot of different charities. In the beginning, when I was trying to figure out where to give money away, I, I would you know, find a guy on the side of the street asking me for drug money and, you know, pull out some money and give it to him. And, and, and I had a friend that was with me in the car one time. And he said, Paul, are you really making a difference? Just handing that guy money on the side of the street. I said, I don't know. I can't judge. I don't, I don't know if that couldn't have been me if I wasn't in a healthy home growing up, et cetera. However, over time, I realized that just giving that money to somebody on the street in a lot of cases was, was adding to the problem, creating a level of welfare mentality. So I chose in my philanthropic focus to focus only on what I call the truly innocent children a nine-year-old in a position completely outside of any choices that she made. I, I served on the Make-A-Wish uh, board of directors for seven years. I was the incoming chairman for Make-A-Wish. And I had billions under management in my fund. My life was just going amazing. And, and then I got a phone call from our attorney general that, that changed my life and brought me into the world of fighting child trafficking. The thing that we want to talk about today as well, Paul, finding your purpose or purpose finding you. And like, I think like, you know, we all have a phone call in our lives. And I think some of us recognize it as something that means more and others maybe don't. But I think like these phone calls are there, like whichever shape they take, right? Like, so I would love to hear more about like, you know, what actually then prompted you to set up the foundation. So the Child Liberation Foundation that's been extremely active in recovering children and in fighting child trafficking. And I think, I think it would actually give us a lot of context and understanding, like, you know, how you found your way particularly into this cause and why it's become everything you stand for, really. Absolutely. In that phone call from the attorney general, he said, Paul, he said, I know you've been very involved with a lot of child related charities. He said, I need to talk to you about something that's pretty heavy. He said, this is the, the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world, being human trafficking. He said, there, there's more today than all 300 years of the transatlantic 
trade um, slave trade put together and and good people don't even know that it's happened he said and even worse than that he said i want to talk to you about child trafficking and i'm like child like like what do you mean selling children for for what and he he said well there's a homeland security agent who's in and uh, been working in, in South America that has found some children that are being sold for for sex. And I'm like, That's, that it just didn't compute for me at all. And then I met that Homeland Security agent and I, I uh, decided to help them donate money and introduce them to some people who could be donors, et cetera. And, and then that Homeland Security agent called me and he said, Paul, I'm in Colombia. There's not just 20 children here. There's there's more than 50 from what we can tell and more than 100 children in other cities in the area. He said, we believe we can rescue all 100 children on the same day. And he said, my plan requires you if you, requires your help. And I said, well, well, how much do you need? I thought that he needed a check. And he said, I need you. Can you be in Colombia in two days? He said, I have to have somebody who can effectively negotiate a multi-million dollar real estate deal with the traffickers. He said the head trafficker has a piece of property he wants to develop into a, like a Jeffrey Epstein Island, a child brothel sex type of place. And he, he needs a few million dollars to do it. He, he believes he can make tens of millions of dollars a year selling children to Europeans and Americans that are coming down there. And I, I that was super heavy and super dark, but I, he knew I had a background that made me somewhat safe in a dangerous place, but I, I'd been running a very successful real estate fund. So I, I, uh, I hung up the phone. I agreed to go. And my, I had one business partner that was there with me that heard the conversation. And an hour later, my co-founder of the fund, John, called me and he said, Paul, he said, um, have you thought this through? He said, this is really dangerous. He said, you're, you're set. You've built your company to the point you could you know, retire, buy an island, be happy the rest of your life. And I said, John, would I really be happy if I bought an island? Bought a yacht or whatever. I said, I said, tell me this. If I was doing something else dangerous tomorrow, if I was if I was climbing Everest tomorrow, you and I would have the same conversation. He said, Yeah, we probably would. I said, and when when I'm 95 years old and I look back on my life and I say I climbed this mountain and I, and I built this multi-billion dollar company and, and I helped rescue this many children, which of them matters? And he said, Yeah, you're you're right. And so I went down there not knowing what to expect and and uh got picked up by some Navy SEALs at the airport and went and met these traffickers. And, and I could not believe that this was really, really happening. One of the traffickers leans forward and he hands me his phone. He goes, Pablo, I have a gift for you. And he gives me his phone and there's a picture of a little 11 year old girl on his phone. He said, this is princess. She's still a virgin. We just took delivery of some, she's my gift for you, for your party. And he, start talking about horrific things I could do to this little girl. And so I, in the movie Sound of Freedom, so I'm the executive producer of the Sound of Freedom movie and, uh, and the primary investor as well. And it has created a global movement. And the reason why I needed that to happen is because when I was sitting there in uh, these traffickers brought this little girl and she's standing in front of me, tear stains on her makeup face, shaking, scared to death. I, I looked in her eyes and all I could see was fear. And I thought, you know, I've, I've spent my whole life making money and making, you know, my friends richer and which isn't, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But I, I, I made a decision at that moment. Now this was transformational, you know, sitting on a chair, just like I am right now. And this girl standing up no taller than I was, as I was sitting down and I made a commitment to myself 
to God, to that little girl that I would dedicate my life to eradicating that evil from the face of the earth. And so for me, I mean, this was the average high net worth family does not have the opportunity to go sit face to face with something like that, to be that transformational. But for me, I was already on this charitable pursuit and helping children was an important part of our lives. But then seeing that firsthand, I couldn't unsee that. And, and I realized, you know, back at the, in the 1700s, there was a man by the name of William Wilberforce and uh, lived in Europe. And he, he had seen at his time, it was fully legal in most countries in the world to own another human being. Slavery was, was, was prominent everywhere. And he, he had seen the atrocities in children. And just like what I had seen firsthand there on that first mission, and he decided the only way to make a difference is he had to take some powerful leaders and show them what he saw, or at least have those conversations, draw it out. Or there, there's even stories about him putting, having a dinner party on his yacht or whatever ship at the time. And the, in the middle of the dinner party, he would have the captain go park it next to the slave ships. And the sound of the you know chains and the smell, and the, the, it, it would just shook up his 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 family office conference that he was running. And, and uh, he said, okay, now, I have your attention, let's talk about this, uh, and help change laws that now, almost every country in the world, slavery is illegal, but unfortunately, it's gone underground, and this is the, the reality of it. So, you know, at that point, I knew that the only way to fix it was to create a global movement, global movement, and uh, you can do a little bit with some documentaries, you can do a lot if you throw some money behind a movie, and uh, that's what's happened. We're, the, we're one of the top independent films in history now, and and um, only $14 million budget did over $250 million of box office sales. So there's a lot of good people out there that are searching and, and this allows us to at least open up the conversation so that we can all get behind this movement. So the medium of film being one way of like, I guess like making a conversation possible around the topic that will make most people just cringe or look away because it is so, I mean, I can barely think about it without feeling extremely violent about the situation, right? Like I think, and I think most people feel the same level of discomfort around this. So like, you know, and, but then you find this purpose, you know, this has to be addressed, like it has to be eradicated, but you need people to talk about it. And as you said, you need a global conversation to start. That connection between finding that purpose and then having that conversation in order to create that impact. Talk us a little bit through going from that extreme moment of clarity and that extreme moment of appeal to institutionalizing the foundation and sort of like building that momentum around like, you know, what you wanted to achieve because you've had more than, I think, 70 recovery operations in 15 countries by now under the foundation. And that's remarkable in, that, in this amount of time. So talk us through that implementation part of it. Absolutely. So in the very beginning, I, I didn't have the time or interest in putting together my own foundation. You know, I was there to help and I was, I was funding a lot of other 501c3s and, and I was the incoming chairman for Make-A-Wish in our, in our area. And unfortunately, I had to turn down that opportunity because I felt so strongly that I needed to focus all of my philanthropic time on this. Now, again, my mentor in my early 20s said, Paul, donate not just your money, but your time. You know, up to 20% of your money and up to 20% of your time. That's a lot of time. If I'm working a 40-hour work week, 20% of that is eight hours. And so, you know, finding some time, an hour or two a day to donate to charity, that was, that was really what made a difference for me is getting my hands involved. And so I was on the board of directors with that foundation. For many of the undercover 
missions that I did, I was working with that foundation and others in the beginning. And, and I saw some things a little over five years ago that concerned me in the philanthropy world. You have to be so careful as to who's using that foundation for their own ego, for their own political aspirations, for their own pocketbook and whatever. And, and uh, if you really look carefully at the foundations that you're supporting, uh, you'll undoubtedly find some that are, are they're out of integrity in that space. And so I, I, uh, I was not impressed with a few of the things that I saw with that foundation. And, and had started the Child Liberation Foundation in the beginning. It was just there to put my own money in so then I could decide what other foundations to help to fund. And that's really how it ran for a while as I was just doing undercover work. I wasn't, I wasn't building the foundation. I had retired from the fund and, uh, and was just focusing on philanthropic stuff. But then the end of last year, I decided to go public and uh, did my first podcast uh, just early this year. And at that point, I can't do undercover work anymore. I've, I've led or played a key part in over 70 missions. And we can go into lots of stories about what that looks like. But more of, I realized that if I'm ever going to make a powerful, powerful impact, just rescuing 20 kids at a time was never going to do it. We needed to, to take the momentum of the movie and take it to a whole new level, especially in light of the fact that there are some people involved with the movie who has come out in the news have not you know, acted integrity in every area of their life and you know people are fallible they are what they are they're not you know raping kids they really are saving kids but at the same time i didn't want the world to be throwing out the baby with the bathwater, and so we needed to focus on having a global voice if you're going to really 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 make a difference in the world we need to take a step back and ask ourselves what are the links in the chain that are that are contributing to the problem? So many times we as as wealthy families will say, well, you know what, I'm just going to throw money there and throw money there and have my money is going to fix the problem. But they don't put any brain power into it, how to take a few steps back. And if you know, so many times I was just throwing money at the rescue of the children. And for 10 years, 10 years, I was putting my life in danger, doing the undercover stuff, paying for other foundations and stuff through through the foundation that I helped to, to get started way back in the beginning and the other ones that I have helped to fund or been a key part of, we've rescued over 5,000 trafficked victims over the last 10 years. And you would think that's such a huge number. Well, I was looking at the global numbers the end of last year and realized that there was more children being sold today than there was 10 years ago. And I said to myself, I said, Paul, if your goal in your life is to eradicate child trafficking, you're not doing a very good job, right? 5,000 is a huge number, and yes, every one of those were making a powerful impact in their lives, but if not enough was being done to curb the demand side, then every time we pulled 20 kids out of hell, we would leave a vacuum, and that vacuum would be would be filled back in with more. And so we had to look at the, if, if we say, you know, the links of a chain, we want to break this chain before it gets to the end, that end link, that end link is the abuse of a child. We never want somebody to get to that point. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the links that lead up to that? You know, is it, is it child pornography? Is it other hardcore? Is it domestic abuse? Is it generational abuse? Is it, is it unresolved childhood trauma? Is it, I mean, there, there are so many things that, that back up this chain that if we can go up here and say, okay, guys, the movie made an impact, but you know, not all of us can go be a Rambo and go rescue kids. What can we do? and talk about that generational trauma that most people have affecting their family in some way. 40% of all women were a victim of sexual abuse at some time in their life. One fourth of them, it was as, as a child. With men, it's still a huge number. 20% of all men at some time in their life, and the majority of them 
was as children. So we've got this generational trauma that's getting passed on one generation after another that we need to focus on on the healing side. So that's that's as I'm as I'm morphing this goal of this passion of creating a global impact. It's not just making the world aware of child trafficking. It's giving them the tools they need to keep their children safe not only from being trafficked but to keep their children safe in their own homes and so there's a lot of different directions that we could go on that but my my mission i had my original foundation was the child liberation foundation which helps to eradicate child trafficking now i have liberating humanity that is a bigger holistic approach to helping adults heal so that we never have the the downstream problem of the abuse of what I found really fascinating about what you just explained to me is how your personal development is so linked to this whole story, right? As someone who then drives this forward, like going from a very covert role that is very much on the ground, very operational into a role of like advocate, advocacy, etc. I mean, that's a big change. It's a big switch. Understanding that link between how you position yourself as well in that conversation is so, so important. I mean, what's your advice to to anyone who's trying to live their purpose and like looking at what is the best way for them to contribute to creating an impact. Absolutely. I think that we've all used some of these principles to help us be successful in business. Things like, you know, visualizing the ideal outcome, et cetera. I, I ask myself all the time, if, if time and money were no issue at all, and I knew I couldn't fail, what would I dream? You know, what does that look like? And I had a quote on my room when I was a kid. I had a bunch of Lambos and Ferraris and a nice house. And I had a quote that said, he who has the most toys wins. I now have one that says, he who has a powerful positive impact in the most lives wins. I was there. I had, at one point, my financial controller said, Paul, do you realize that you've got 57 vehicles and you drive about two of them, you know, and I had a basketball court in my basement, right? I, I had this opulent lifestyle. I had parties all the time. I had 450 people inside my house for a Halloween party one year. And it was, you know, all the NBA players in the area and the senators and I mean, the who's who. And I was, I was thinking this is the definition of success. And I was doing some philanthropy stuff, but it wasn't really impact, impact. It wasn't really making a significant, it was, you know, granting some kids some wishes. Yes, it was so beautiful, but it just, it was kind of a way to make me not feel bad about spending $100,000 on my second wedding. You know, I, I thought, you know, I'll just, I'll give 10,000 here, 50,000 here, but, but it wasn't really fulfilling because I wasn't physically involved with it. And, and by then starting to put the time into it and changing how I saw myself, how I saw other people, I, I came to realize that that some of the same challenges that I was fighting, this all the way at the end of the, the links of the chain, these traffickers and these, these, uh, these guys, these predators, they, they all had this energy of, of arrogance and greed and, and lust. And I, I even had to look in the mirror myself and say, okay, how, how is arrogance and greed and lust negatively affecting the relationships in my life and, and how I show up for my kids and my family, et cetera. And I, I realized, yeah, you know, me and none of my kids, none of my, my operators have any, you know, draw to any of that horrible thing that we were fighting. But how did those same, that, that same arrogance, that same lust, et cetera, was, was it affecting our relationship? So we, by making that personal change internally, I realized, okay, now it's not all about the show. It's not all about that next check there of, I got another million or I got another car or I did another rescue even, you know, those were all still a kind of an ego feeding type of a thing. 
So I, I had to take some steps back and say, okay, what is my real calling? What is my real purpose? And, and a lot of people were pushing. They said, Paul, you know, you, you've been in the pit of hell. You've been in the darkness. You can tell these stories like nobody else can because you've been there. The world needs to hear your stories. In fact, one very, very well-known motivation speaker, one of the biggest in the world, he said to me after one of the ops that he saw uh, the end result of, he said, Paul, the world needs to hear your stories but the world can't know who you are while you're still undercover. And so, you know, that was five plus years ago when so many people were pressuring me to go public. And I, I said, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that's using the, the sizzle of the rescue of the children to bring them to paulhutchinson.com. No, that can't ever happen. And they said, as long as you're, you're speaking from a place of the heart and with pure humility, and it really is about the kids, then you need to use your voice. You need to not be... You're saying, well, I'm too humble to have my face out there. Really? No, maybe it's fear, right? You need to really let your light so shine, right? And if we don't use our voice, if we if we shy back and say, oh, what are people going to think? Are they going to think that I'm trying to put my face out there to a grand Let them think what they want to without getting out there and showing the world by example how you can make a positive impact in the lives of others. Then their, their heroes and their idols are going to be people leading in the wrong direction. So... That's why I decided to go public and use my voice and, and uh, use the stories and use my resources to help create a global movement that we started with the movie. I think is the most interesting part of learning from other people, right? Like is to understand where you came from and also like your own transformation and how it's allowed you to now open up this new avenue. But like the conversation around this particular topic, but also actually around, there's a lot of other topics out there that we need to tackle as a human race at the moment that are equally disconcerting, equally uncomfortable. Currently, there's so much happening in the world that people just want to be able to forget or switch off for a few minutes, but like, it's just not possible and it's there. And this next generation is faced with all of that. And and I hear more and more people telling me there's, there's almost like a paralysis of not even knowing where to start anymore, right? Like, you know, how, where do we start with all the problems that we're facing? Like, whether it be from a from a climate point of view, like the ethical implications of technology, like your subject on like around human rights and children's rights, etc. So I guess like the important thing that I want to try and understand for our audience is, is if I'm faced with this dilemma and just trying to find a place where I can align my personal strength with what needs to be done in a sustainable way. I think that's the dream for anyone, right? Like anyone wants to get there somehow. And I think people, of course, like we know that like people who have the means, like, you know, should be more interested in that, but it's not always the case. I think this, this applies to anyone. As you said, like, even when there was no money, like this idea of giving to charity was like part of your sort of like mindset. And I think, so talk to me a little bit more about that. So if, if you talk to that next generation, What's the first step? I tell people this, find what you're really passionate about. You know, saving the trees, saving the whales, saving the kids, saving the, the free speech, whatever it is. You know, you figure out what really, really, really means something to you. Something that, that excites you so much to do something about that you, you don't have to wake up to an alarm clock in the morning. You know, you're, you're like that. If I could leave that legacy, that's something that if my kids and grandkids knew me for X what would that be? Is it just, you know, the G2 that inherited the whatever, or is it somebody who said, okay, I'm going to take the amazing resources that I have and get involved with some 
organizations, some groups. And what I would suggest is go donate time with a bunch of them. Go to a bunch of galas. Go to, you know, and hear the stories and, and just find out what really speaks to you. You know, if somebody wants to get involved with me, great. You can go to go to liberatechildren.org and, and there's plenty of ways to get involved. You can send me a, a, you know, a request and we can chat on the phone. We can talk about ways to, to really make a difference or just find something that you're passionate about. Find something that, that maybe, you know, you had a relative die of cancer and that, that really, really hurt you when you were a child and leaving that losing that relative and and now you can say okay i'm going to use this pain i'm going to use this this hurt that i have to motivate myself to really really make a difference something that my kids grandkids great great grandchildren will say yeah that was my grandpa that's how i live my life i ask myself what do i want to be known for and what do i want to be a part of and and how how can i leave a legacy and and does a legacy just look like you know, enough money to pay for everybody's college and the new house for all of the, the great grandkids. No, I don't, I don't think that that's a legacy. That's in some cases, it's doing them a disservice, right? A legacy, a legacy is something that your second grader grandkids are telling their friends at school who their grandpa is, right? Because he's making a, such a beautiful impact in the world. That's what a legacy is the advocacy role and sort of like keeping that conversation going. I think like so many of us are, of course, like are, I think the position of having influence regardless of the means, et cetera, is probably the position that's the most shared by, you know, most people across stratas, economic stratas. So having influence, keeping a conversation going is this thing we all can do. We all are capable of keeping topics top of mind with our communities, with the people around us, et cetera. You've had a box office success with Sound of Freedom, an amazing one. Congratulations. What is the strategy when it comes to like keeping people's minds on eradicating child trafficking and really like keeping people willing to have this extremely, extremely upsetting and uncomfortable conversation? In other words, giving people the courage to look that little girl in the eye alongside you and making things right. The movie had one purpose and that's to open up the door open up that door of being able to talk about this however i was in a conversation just on an interview yesterday with somebody that was very high up in in the white house and said to me actually asked the question should the sound of freedom movie be used as a training video and i said absolutely not you know it's a movie there's a lot more going on in trafficking than what you see in the movie yes those things happen Yes, there's uh, children that, that get taken from a healthy family and get put on a container ship and taken to another. Yes, that happens. But the norm is not that. That, that the best thing people can do is go home and hug their kids. And they, they say, well, how does that make a difference? No, it, it's because the at-risk children for trafficking come from runaways, broken families, a broken foster care program, or the bigger, the bigger challenge that could happen with your own kids, with all everybody who's listening here, is that the fact that there's a very, very high percentage chance, upwards of you know, over 25% chance that somebody in your family or somebody in your neighborhood is doing things to kids. And so having these conversations is important. That the movie just opens the door. Where to from here? The most powerful person in America, in my opinion, is not a political leader and isn't a church leader that the, the most powerful people in America are the content producers, is the, the podcasters. Guys like, you know, there's Joe Rogan. I mean, he has more eyeballs every day than the Super Bowl. And so having these people of influence 
I call it working with the, the tip of the umbrella. So my goal is to spend one-on-one -on -one time with these power influencers, you know, ultra wealthy families, people that, that are running large foundations, people with massive followings and help them identify something of purpose that they can push out to their audience and show as an example. So we're bringing them into you know, different activities and filming those of, of helping to build some of the safe houses for the kids and expanding things from there. So that's what my goal is, is to continue the momentum by continuing to go public. Um, just in the last five months alone, I've had over 400 million views on my, my podcasts and my videos. And I just went public just earlier this year. And so it's been a whirlwind and super grateful for all of the good people that are putting me on their, their platforms, but continuing that conversation, not just so that we can talk about child trafficking, that doesn't fix the problem. Can, taking that conversation and saying, okay, what do we need to do to keep our own kids safe? What do we need to do with the, the skills that we can teach them so that we can sleep well at night knowing that they know how to protect themselves, that they, they know what to really be watching for, to, and that we have a relationship with them that is so strong that they can easily come in and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I, I don't like it when you tell me to hug Uncle Perry because of, you know, how he touches me, or I don't like to go to that friend's house because her brother, you know, grabs me on my bum, or our babysitter is showing us pornography and tells us that we should trust her more than you. you know, these are grooming things. These are things that we need to be aware of as parents, or if something did happen, hey, mom, I, I feel really sick in my stomach because this happened at recess behind the, the, the rocks. This boy did this, you know, having the relationship with your kids where they can talk about it will release so much of that trauma immediately so they're not holding it on holding on to it for decades and decades and having it affect their self-esteem and, and anxiety depression anger issues etc so those are all those are all the ways that i'm taking that's what liberating humanity is about is is helping adults to heal through their trauma we have healing retreats all over the world. In fact, that's one of the reasons we're down here is we're, we're working with different healing retreats that we can bring adults in who have experienced trauma as children and help them release that. We can get more good at one of these four-day healing retreats than, than 10 years worth of therapy in the U.S. and, and, uh, and abroad. So that's what the goal is. It's, it's helping to fix the problem by helping people to heal. So for the actual children and for the child within, thank you very much. Paul for joining us on the Family Business Voice today. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.